0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au Would you turn to Mark 15? Mark 15, we'll be going through verses 6 to verse 15. The title of this message is Jesus, My Substitute. Jesus, My Substitute. So we read the Word of God from verse 6 in Mark 15 and it says, Now at the feast, He used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. A man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. That is Pilate, by the way. And we know that from verse 9. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted, all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Christian religion can be summed up in these two words, perfect substitution. This is the heart of Christianity, the great exchange. The sinless son of God dies instead of on behalf of sinful men. We are convicted by God's law that we are sinful. And God, because of his justice, he must declare all of us guilty, deserving hell. And yet, at the same time, God is compelled by his love to justify his people, sinners. That is to say, to declare us legally upstanding, lawfully Free from judgment before his sight. How? How does God being just and yet at the same time justifies guilty sinners who not only do evil, but as a scripture clearly portrays us that we have evil heart, corrupt nature. How does, it, how does God do that? Answer? Substitutionary sacrifice. When our loving Saviour bears all our sins and we bear His righteousness. When He receives what we deserve and we receive what is rightly His. This is the unfathomable mystery of the great exchange. How God treated Jesus as if He lived our lives so that He would treat us as if we lived His. All our evangelistic efforts point to Thirsty sinners to this fountain of truth. All our benefits and privileges as Christians also spring out of the same fountain, whether redemption, adoption, whether salvation, reconciliation. All these rich blessings are carried upon the shoulders of this holy substitution. What does this mean? It means this. If we would ask, how does God forgive sin? How does God justify guilty sinners? How does he adopt them? We'll discover that the answer to all the how questions find the roots in the substitution of Christ. The punishment of sin transferred from those who deserve it but could not bear it to Christ who who did not deserve it but could bear it. Blessed are those who come to Christ through faith, believing this great exchange was accomplished for them. Blessed. What a blessing when a man believes in his heart this truth. Why? Because whoever believes this truth, And so, with his mouth, and out of the depth of his heart, would sing loudly, Yes, Jesus died for me. He loved me. And he bled for me. He was punished for me. In my place, on my behalf, this person is saved. So, now we come to this narrative. Just a quick background. In the previous passage, just before this one, it was the fourth trial of Jesus. Jesus was tried six times. The first three trials were before uh, um, Jews, judicial according to the judicial law. And the second set of three trials were Roman trials. So the previous four, previous passage was the fourth trial, which obviously means the first Roman trial. And it ended up with Pilate being amazed, he was astonished. And that ends at verse 5. Now in that white space between verse 5 and verse 6, that was the second Roman trial. So a lot of things happened in that white space where Pilate sent Jesus to be tried before Herod. And all that Herod did was he demanded that Jesus would perform a miracle just out of sheer entertainment. Jesus was dead silent, didn't do any miracle. And so Herod wanted to mock Jesus. He gave him a royal robe, and he kind of was basically saying to him, Well, since you claim to be the king of the Jews, we'll dress you up like one. The scripture clearly tells us that Herod didn't find any fault in Jesus. So what did Herod do? He shipped him back to Pilate. And now we pick up the narrative from verse 6. And I just want to say before we move into this narrative, which is the final trial. It's the sixth trial of Jesus, all up six trials. The final trial, which means the the third Roman trial. And what do we find in this narrative as a quick summary? We find a vivid illustration. It's a picture of this glorious exchange where the innocent Jesus took place of the guilty Barabbas. And what does this illustration depict? Depicts what took place between Jesus and every believer. And it is intended to lead us to be astonished. In utter shock. And that shock ought to give way to gratitude. And as our heart would begin to be filled up with gratitude, we ought to burst out filling our mouth with thankfulness to this awesome and great Savior. And we ought to, as we go through this narrative, we ought to finally sing that beautiful song that says, Amazing love, how can it be that my King would die for me. So with that being said, let's start verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. Well, we need to understand a little background about Pilate. This is Pilate here, who he. So we know what is going on. Now Pilate has been known to be a cruel monster and unjust governor. All the Jews hated him at that time, and Romans, they they didn't like what was happening because um, you're going to get people to revolt and turn on Rome. When when people are fed up, as we all know by now, uh, when people are fed up with the brutality of the leaders, that's what people do. That's how they respond. They, they revolt. And Rome didn't like that, so Pilate had uh, his last straw, basically. Better behave or he would lose his job. So Pilate, that self-seeker, is now trying to be at best behavior. He's making sure he doesn't push people to the edge or else they will begin the right. So what does he do? He wants to win people's favor. He wants to show them that he's not that bad. And so what he decided to do is that every um, Passover feast, he promised the Jews that he would release a prisoner back to them and they get to choose which prisoner to release. Now, what are the options? So we have... Um, Who are the prisoners at the time when Jesus was crucified? Well, verse 7 says, The man named Barabbas. Barabbas. What do we know about Barabbas? Well, to start off with, his name means the son of the father. Um, The word Bar- Um, this means son, it's like Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. And Abba's here, it's derived from the word Abba, you know, Abba, father. So Abba is another way of saying father. So in the Passover feast, the two options that we have in the menu, one hand, Jesus, the son of God, the father. And on the other hand, we have Barabbas, who's also called the son of the father. This is the only similarities that we have between these two candidates. But other than that, they could not be further apart from each other, infinitely different from each other. So what else do we know about Barabbas? Well, Barabbas, it says here, continuing on, had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists. So he was a rebel, an enemy of the state, One who plans and plots to revolt against the governing authority. And he he wasn't just a a one-man show. It says here, with the insurrectionists. Notice the plurality. Meaning Barabbas was part of a, a terrorist group. If you like, like Hezbollah or Hamas. A freedom fighter group established to liberate Um, the Jews from the tyranny of of Rome. Now, how did Barabbas attempt to liberate the Jews? We're continuing on, and it says, who had committed murder in the insurrection. The Gospel of Luke affirms this. Peter, in the book of Acts 3.14, he also affirms that Barabbas was a murderer. So Barabbas' way to liberate the Jews from Rome was to revolt. It was not to be meek, to have faith in the gospel of Jesus, to be gentle, but by the use of power, violence, by bloodshed, by self-reliance in a guerrilla warfare, if you like. So Barabbas, just like all the other insurrectionists, he would have been carrying a dagger, which is a little, um, small, sharp knife, and he would hide it, and it would be tucked under his garment. And he would go to marketplaces, and he would mix with the crowd. And once he gets very close to his victim, in a subtle way, he would pull out this knife, and he would drive it deep into his victim unnoticed by everyone around him. And he's like a, a silent assassin. He would quickly, once he's done the deed, he would blend back with the crowd and nobody could tell who committed this murder. Now what else do we know about Barabbas? John 18 verse 40 says Barabbas was a, a robber. He was a thief, a crook, an outlaw. And he was supporting his assassinations by robbery. He would rob innocent people. Furthermore, in Matthew 27, 16, it says he was a notorious prisoner. He was well known to everyone of his wicked crimes. Now, God told Israel, if they would humble themselves, and seek his face, he would drive their enemies away. God promised that if Israel would humble themselves, if they would repent, the Messiah would come, and it is this Messiah who would restore the kingdom back to them. But Barabbas didn't believe in messianic redemption. No. He was never interested in a coming Messiah to save his people. What do you believe in? He believed in self, self-redemption. It's my fist. You want to be liberated? It's my power, my strength to get what he wanted. And what did that lead him to be? A rebel, murderer, thief. Notorious criminal. We continue on in verse 8 it says, The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do, um, to do for them. Well, since Pilate promised that he would release a prisoner every Passover feast, the crowd went up to Pilate to See whom they would choose to set free. Again, two options on the table. Either Jesus, this harmless, gentle, meek, son of God. And on the other hand, is Barabbas, the violent, cunning terrorist. Who would they choose? One who rules by love, full of light. And on the other, rules by death and full of darkness. Well, to Pilate, it was no brainer. He would have thought to himself, well, surely the crowd admires Jesus. Surely they will choose Jesus any time over Barabbas. Great. The crowd is here, and when they request for Jesus to be freed, then the religious leaders can't blame you for releasing Jesus. And so while Jesus is standing there on that platform, Publicly, before everybody, wearing that purple king royal rope on his back, and he's silent, peaceful, standing there. You can just imagine his hands are tied by the sixth trial, who was already punched in his face, he's bruised, his face is disfigured by then, bleeding. And Pilate now is pointing to Jesus. In verse 9. And we read Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the King of the Jews? King of the Jews. This was not the first or last time Pilate would um, um, refer to Jesus as the King of the Jews. And why did he do that? Well, he wanted to tease the religious leaders, just a way of annoying them. Why? Because since they, they claimed that why they got so offended and they're so upset about Jesus was because he kind of sold himself out to be the king. And they came across as though that they are loyal to Caesar. Caesar is our only king, they say. And so they deemed him worthy of death. Right. Peter, but um, Pilate knew better than that. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew why they delivered him. Why? How do we know this? Verse 10. For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. It wasn't because they were loyal to Caesar. It wasn't because they were... Devoted to Rome that they delivered Jesus to die? No, it was because of a sinister motive. They handed him over because of envy. What is envy? It's this hot displeasure. Because someone has something that you want so badly. Jesus was so much better teacher than them. He could relate to common man more than they could ever relate to common man. He was gaining popularity and fame, something that they were thirsty for and they couldn't achieve. They've almost gone unnoticed whenever Jesus comes into the scene. Jesus proclaimed the unchallenged truth and what did they do? They stumbled in every word. Jesus was that powerful, gifted preacher. performed countless number of miracles. All they had was just their office. So they hated him. They were full of envy. And their envy drove them to plot the murder of the Son of God, this innocent God-man. Harlan wasn't born yesterday, figuratively speaking, of course. He knew all that. He wasn't done. He knew that Jesus was framed. He knew that those religious leaders were power hungry and they wanted to get on top any way possible. So much that, verse 11 now, moving on, and it says, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him, that's Pilate, to release Barabbas for them instead. So those envious leaders moved throughout the multitude and they worked up the crowd and Akanah said, Do you, can you see this man? Come on people, look at him. He's weak, he's passive. He can't even defend himself. How can he defend your country? Is this kind of pathetic Messiah that you're anticipating? Look at him. He can't even kill a fly. Hmm. Well, what about Barabbas? Well, Barabbas, well, alright, yes, he's a murderer. He's a robber. He's a notorious criminal. But that says a lot about Barabbas. It says that he's strong, he's fast, he's clever. But Barabbas, if he saw an enemy approaching, he won't think twice. In a heartbeat, he will break his neck. Now something we need to know about the Jews back then as well, they, they were about materialism. That's what drove them to make any decision in their lives. It was about their health, wealth, fame. That was high in the, in the priority of life. That were carnal. That were fleshly. To have their sins forgiven, to be made right with God, that was low in their ladder of priority in life. So to them, Barabbas, that's a kind of hero. And he was the kind of saviour that we're looking for. So in verse 12 it says, Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? What a question. What shall you do with Jesus, Pilate? You're the judge, not the crowd, right? In verse 14 he says again, Why? What evil has he done? It's a rhetorical question and the answer is obvious. There is nothing evil that Jesus has committed. Well, if you're the judge and you see no evidence that warrants capital punishment, then justice compels you to not execute an innocent man. Right? But justice was not on the page. Justice was not a, a, a commodity, if you like, of a high value to anybody at that time. The religious leaders, what was motivating them? Envy. The Jews, materialism, Pol- political freedom. And Pilate, that is meant to be the judge, was motivated by pleasing the majority. None of those people... Motivated by justice. That's the point. They were all self-seekers. So continuing on, it says, What shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? What shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Everyone in this room must answer this question in his heart today. What shall you do with him who you call, is called the King of the Jews? In fact, we go even outside of this room, and every soul ever lived throughout history must answer this question. Well, we're continuing on. What shall you do with him who is the king of the Jews? I don't know. Jesus, son of God. What shall you do? How about you set him free, Pilate, and then believe in him, and then embrace him, worship him, love him, follow him, and live for him. How about that? But no, verse 13. They shouted back, crucify him. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's far more powerful. It says, they all shouted back. No one sat back on the fence. And while Pilate was holding the court... He got interrupted by an alarming text from his missus. Verse 19, Matthew 27, verse 19 actually says, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. suffered greatly in her dream. It wasn't a dream, it was a nightmare. So Mrs. Pontus was into mysticism, perhaps, we don't know, but at any case she was warning her husband to make sure that he would judge fairly. So pressure was building up and it was getting intensified by the minute. In verse 14 of our text it says, But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Now, it, it was, again, another way of, via, of Pilate's attempt to release Jesus. And, and to be exact, by the way, if you combine all the passages together and glue and to find out the entire narrative, you find that um, Pilate at least attempted 10 times to release Jesus. Every time there was a failure. I want to give you some of them. In Luke 23, 14, uh, Pilate says, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Luke 23, says, I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Get this. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Do you get that? I have found no guilt. Therefore, I will punish him. Pretty lousy judge, don't you think? That's crazy. He continues on in John 19 verse 6. Look at this. Take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. What kind of judge I would say that? Crucify him because I don't, have any, I don't see any guilt in him. Alright. Matthew 27 verse 24. He took water and washed his hand in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood See to that yourselves. Anyway, the more Pilate attempted to release Jesus, passage before us it says, they shouted, all the more crucify him. They didn't want justice. They wanted blood. There was no mercy in their cry, only viciousness. There's venom coming out of their lips. The crowd could have said, well, if you think that Jesus was innocent, well, let him go. As well as release for us, Barabbas. Easy. We'll get two for one. What a bargain. The more, the merrier. They could have said that. No. It wasn't just about releasing Barabbas. They wanted to go further and beyond that, they wanted Jesus to be nailed to the cross. Why? Why is that? Why did they insist on Jesus to die? Well, perhaps they looked at upon the humiliated Jesus and they thought, well, that was so appalling and it was so offensive to them. Or it could be that that the religious leaders had such a strong influence over them or it could be Satan himself had a strong spell over them or it could be a combination of these three points. But in any case, we'll find... Um, let, let me actually point out something that they said that is just so shocking. In Matthew 27, 25, it says, All the people said His blood shall be on us and on our children. What kind of sickening response is that? We'll take the blame. Let our hands and the hands of our children be stained with this man's blood. Bizarre. So much hatred in the heart of man towards Jesus. On the other hand, oh, the meekness of Christ. Oh, the gentleness of Jesus. You know what? You know, Jesus could have just flicked his fingers and he would have been able to wipe them all clean out of the planet. You, 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 you. No longer exist. Turn into dust. Could have done it. Brothers, the fact that Jesus at this point still accepted all this outrage, cry of people when he could have called for legions of angels to come and destroy them. Just goes to show how meek, how gentle, Our Christ is. Well, in the meanwhile, and as the pressure was building up and Pilate now stressed, it's overwhelming. He's being blackmailed by the sheer multitude of people. He doesn't want uh, them to um, begin a riot. Doesn't want to lose his job. What should he do? Verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. He doesn't want to be unemployed. There's no Centrelink. Who's going to pay the mortgage for the palace. Whatever. What he, what he must do is to please the crowd. Well, to save his position... How would he please them? Pilate released Barabbas for them. This is is now the point of the entire narrative. Released Barabbas for them. He sent his guards to the prison cell where Barabbas was held at. Barabbas, of course... He's stuck somewhere. He has no idea what's going on. It's not like what you see in the movies where you know Barabbas is on one side and Jesus on the other side. No, he's still in, in the prison cell. He hears footsteps, strong men coming towards him. He now sees the bodyguards, they're approaching and opening the prison cell, the door of his prison Surely by then he knew that his time was up, time for him to pay for all the crimes he committed. He was a notorious criminal. Therefore there were shackles in his hands and feet. He's about to be dragged out, to be flogged, to be crucified and be made a public spectacle for everyone to see. So all would know that Rome was still in charge. He couldn't plead his innocence at that time. No. He knew he was guilty as charged. He was a rebel, an enemy of the state. And surely anyone in these circumstances... Little by little, as the reality of the execution began to settle into his mind, his strength would have given away. His pulse started getting louder. And the rate of his pulse is getting faster and faster. My end is near. His heart would have sunk to his feet. But then what happened? To his shocking surprise, he hears a bodyguard, he hears a guard, which say, loosen his shackles. Set him free. Set me free. How come? He would have been confused. What's going on here? Well, you're free to go. Why? Well, Jesus took your place, and the scripture continues, and he said, and he says, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. What is scourged? To be scourged, <clears throat> the prisoner would have been bound to a post, then been whipped with leather stripes. You know, that have the stripes and um, embedded at the end with uh, donkey's bones. And uh, once those bones make contact with the skin, they become like claws. They dig into the flesh. And as they pull them out, it would, they would rip muscle tissues. Veins would be cut open. Internal organs like kidneys and liver would be exposed. Such a gruesome kind of torture. And the passage continues, it says, he handed him over to be crucified. Jesus would die instead of Barabbas. But what? Sooner or later, Barabbas would have wondered, why? What did Jesus do? What did he commit to deserve this kind of execution? Somebody would tell him, well, He did nothing. What do you mean nothing? Only thugs, riffraffs, these kind of animal criminals like me, that ought to be crucified. Well, although Jesus was innocent, yet he took your place. He carried your cross. So this insurrectionist murderer Was let loose. On what basis? On the basis that the peaceful life giver would be crucified on his behalf. Now, we don't know what happened with Barabbas after this event took place. Did he repent? Did he believe? Has he become a follower of Jesus Christ? The scripture is silent about that. But what a vivid illustration of the perfect exchange that took place for every believer in this room. Barabbas is the only human on the face of this planet that could say that Jesus physically died for me. He's the only one who would say, Jesus physically took my place. But everyone who comes to Jesus Christ by faith can say, Jesus took my spiritual place. Brothers, sisters, every believer can say, I am Barabbas. It is me. I am the insurrectionist against God. Every believer can say, I was born a rebel. I revolted against the supreme government of God. When I defied his rightful rule over my life. I am the stubborn one. I am the guilty one of the highest treason against his majesty. Yes, I am Barabbas. I am the thief. I am the murderer. Every believer can say, oh, how many times have I murdered people in my heart? How many times have I called people fools? Bitterness towards People, unforgiving spirit within me. In fact, not just, that, not just that I'm a thief and a murderer, I have broken all of God's commandments. It is me. I was shackled with sin as my heart was inclined to all kinds of evil. It should have been me, the one who's accused of insurrection, because that is exactly my crime before the judgment seat of God. If there was anyone that should have been tried without mercy, it's me, not Jesus. I deserve the whole world to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The head that was punched, disfigured, bruised, beaten up, should have been my head. The body that was scourged, torn, should have been my body. But like for Barabbas, Jesus took my place without even me asking him for it. He has become my perfect substitute. We read this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Every believer can say Jesus was scourged for me so that I would be healed by His wounds. He was condemned for me so I would be forgiven in Him. His hands were tied so my heart that was enslaved to sin may be set free to worship Him. His face that was beautiful was disfigured so that God's image that was ruined in me can be restored. He accepted to be mocked, to be reviled for me, cursed for me, so I would be blessed by him. He willingly died the most painful and disgraceful death for me so that he would grant me eternal life with him. My sin, it is my sin that stripped him naked so that he would clothe me with his righteousness. Simply put, Jesus died for me so that I would have life in him, and no longer do I need to fear death or God's wrath. No longer do we need to fear guilt or shame. And if you ask Jesus, why? Why me, Jesus? Why? Jesus, why did you die for a rebel, insurrectionist, Barabbas, who is me? The answer that would thunder out of the throne room of God. Because I love you. Wow. And if we would ask this question million times over. The answer that would echo through eternity. Because I love you. What a gracious saviour we worship, brothers and sisters. What an awesome saviour. Have you heard of another saviour like our saviour, Jesus Christ? Is he not worthy of all honour, exaltation and worship? Amen. How do we apply these, brothers, in, in our lives? Brothers, when when Satan reminds you of your sin and you feel that you fall way too short, you run to that saviour. You remind yourself, he is my perfect substitute. Run and hide in his wounds all the times of your lives. How do we apply this in our lives? Well, if Jesus did not hold back, but gave us all that he had, is it too little to give him all our lives? If he fills our heart with gratitude because of this great exchange, shouldn't our will be totally consecrated to him and him alone? Meaning, if he died for us willingly, then we must live for him freely, cheerfully, that every breath that we breathe, that we say with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Sinners, friends, Today, you who are outside of Jesus Christ. I want to be lovingly forthright with you. God sees you today the same way you and I would look at Barabbas. Your sin is too great. Your punishment is way too severe that you will not be able to bear. But there stands before you this morning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And He's offering you forgiveness of sin through His blood. Will you take it? This meek and gentle Jesus who died has risen again risen from the grave, ascended to the highest of heaven. The scripture tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The keys of hell and Hades are with him. Do you know what this means? It means he's the one that gets to choose who goes to hell and who does not go to hell. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 80, 70, 40, it doesn't matter if you're 13, 12, 10 years old. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone in sin, This same Jesus is able to forgive you if but you come to Him. Oh friend, come to Him. What must I do? Worship him like Thomas did. Tell him, Jesus, you are my Lord, my God. You loved me. You died for me. You rose again to give me life. I believe it. Believe this. Tell him, Jesus, I want you to be my perfect substitute. I want to have All of you to be mine. And all that I am and all that I have to be yours. Including my sins, my wretchedness, my wickedness, my pride, my selfishness, my arrogance. I give them all to you. And I have all that you have for me. Jesus wants to do that. He longs to do that. He loves to do that to sinners like you and I. Have him today. And don't delay. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's bow our heads and worship him together. What a beautiful saviour we have, Lord God. You didn't give us good things. You didn't only give us the best things. You've given us your Son. All fullness in Him. All goodness. The very source and the fountain of all blessings has become our perfect substitute. Oh Lord, in these dark hours, in these last days where evil is rampant, moral decay is ever increasing, would you please cause this church, this body of Christ to be on fire for Christ, to live all out for Jesus, that Jesus would have his way in and through them, until such time when our eyes meet his eyes, and that he would wipe every tear from our faces, and that we would be hugged by our Saviour, who is our perfect substitute. All glory be to his name. Amen.